we would like to welcome you to our weekly broadcast of Harvest Worship Center's Sunday morning celebration service. We hope and pray that you will receive something from the Lord today. And we ask you to stay tuned at the end of the message for more information concerning our church. Again, thank you for joining us today. God still does miracles. Come on. I wonder if anybody believes that God is still moving today. Amen. Mm. Mm. You're in the Father's house today. No matter what you brought through these doors, you don't have to leave with it on your heart today. You don't have to carry it out these doors. But you can lay it down today. You can walk out of this place free. Amen. These altars are always open. I think we've just made a, we have a bad misconception that the altars are only when we mess up. It's not when we just mess up. Sometimes we just need to come and be in the presence of God. And it is that physical action, that physical move, I mean, that statement to God that I'm all in. I'm all in, God. All of it's in. All of me today. Amen. Amen. Just give the Lord another praise as you're being seated. Amen. Thank you, Lord. You can be seated. God is so good. I believe he is, boy, he's ready to work in this house today. It brings me to Acts chapter 4 today. So if you want to look along in your Bibles, Acts chapter 4, we're going to be going through about 22 verses today. And I know that seems like a lot of verses, but we, we're condensing them for you today. But in Acts chapter 2, we learned that the, or in Acts chapter 1, we learned that the church was told to go to Jerusalem and tarry in Jerusalem that they might receive the comforter and, and the empowerment to be witnesses of God. And in Acts chapter 2, that happens. And then we find that uh, Peter preaches a great sermon and about 3,000 are saved in that one day and added to their numbers. And the church leaves from this small little group of about 120 to a worldwide movement because these people go all over the world. They go back to their hometowns and and they share the experience of Jesus with those around them. And the church now begins to spread. And then we find in Acts chapter 3 that, that um, the church experiences incomprehensible growth. As 3,000 souls uh, are repent and as uh, God begins to move. And, and then we have the act of Peter and John at the gate. Beautiful. And we talked about that in some detail. That, and last week we, we spoke about what do you really want. What is the real heart of the need in your life? Um, that a lot of times we pray for the symptom and not the cause. Um, we, we're praying, God, relieve this part or do a miracle in this area. And God's saying, I could fix that, but it's just going to come back because that's not the heart of the issue. And so we talked about last uh, Sunday getting to the heart of the matter. Uh, what is it you really want from God? What do you really need God to do? Instead of asking God, heal my body, maybe there's something deeper that he can touch that in a result, the end result will be healing of your body. And so uh, God wants us to get to the heart of the matter. And we talked about that last week. And today we're going to talk uh, about Acts chapter 4, uh, boldness in a world of unbelief. How to have boldness. I want you to think about how the early church, now they, again, even though thousands were coming to Christ, they are still a drop in a bucket compared to all of those uh, in society that are either pagan or they are practicing Judaism. Okay, 
and Judaism is a works-based uh, salvation. In other words, um, if you read the Old Testament, it was all about what you would do to appease God. Okay, And since we could never do enough to satisfy the debt of sin, Jesus comes and satisfies the debt for us. And so now, instead of a works-based gospel, you have a grace-based gospel, and the two are are destined to collide. Those two mentalities, those two theologies are destined to collide, and they do. And they collide very violently at times. And so today, we're going to look into Acts chapter 4, and we're going to just see a little bit of what the Holy Spirit brought about, um, because the honeymoon is over for the early church, so to speak. It's time to come down off the cloud into the real world, and they are, uh, why? Because trouble is brewing. Trouble is brewing. Resistance to the message and persecution to the message of the gospel of Jesus is coming to the church. Up until this point, they have not met much opposition. Peter has preached. People have come and been baptized. Man, great time. But the more we do for God, the more you're going to anger Satan in your life. If you don't struggle, and chances are you're not trying to live right. <laughs> because the devil don't really mess with those he's already got. He messes with those who are trying to make a difference. And if, guess what? He is satisfied with you just being, quote, a good Christian, coming, sitting, going, you know, doing your Sunday thing, maybe an occasional Wednesday thing, you know, giving in your offerings and, and going through the motions and checklists. He's good with that. But the moment you try to make a difference in this world, the moment you try to share your faith with someone else, you're going to get hell upset. You're going to get, you're going to get the devil angry at you, and it's going to come at you. Well, up until this point, um, the, the hell has not did, you know, they, they haven't been too disturbed, but when this 120 begins to become, you know, uh, 3120, that's a, that's a different difference there. And then when, when uh, 5,000 are added, that's a little bit disturbing. All of a sudden, the church isn't just adding, it's multiplying. And, and I want you to understand, God is into multiplication. Uh, we, you know, He's not into. And if if I was to have you to 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 uh, you know go to a hundred, adding one at a time, one plus one, one plus two, you, it would take you a while. But what if we multiply ten times ten? We're at we're at a hundred. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying God is ready to multiply His blessings and multiply His church, and that's what He did in the Book of Acts, and that's what He wants to do today. Now, we're setting up, so hold on with me. Uh, notice the logic. In John 15, verses 18 through 21, before we get into Acts 4, it says, If the world hates you, this is the words of Jesus, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Mm. If the world's got great affection for you, you might want to question where you stand for God. Words of Jesus. But because you are not of the world, but, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the, wor the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my, wor if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Uh, but all these things they will do to your, you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. What will happen to the church when it experiences resistance and persecution. We're going to look at that. They were faced with this for the first time. There is a pattern that you can trace throughout the book of Acts, especially in the earlier happenings or the earlier chapters. The pattern goes something like this. Everything is going well, and then a trial takes place. The apostles often deliberate, pray, and then they decide what is the right thing to do based upon, uh, based, based upon the leading of the Spirit. As I told you uh, earlier, the book of the Bible, the Bible did not exist in written 
written form except for the Septuagint, which was the Old Testament. That's what they had. Not that that was to be discounted, but the New Testament, they were living it out at that time. It would be 250 years before there would be anything really in writing that they could, they, they, they could say, hey, here's the New Testament or canonized scripture. They're about 40 years or 20 years in, there were some letters circulating by this, this, this really wild apostle by the name of Paul who had this conversion on the road of Damascus. And so his writings surfaced, surfaced before any of the writings of Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, and, and John. Uh, there was the writings of Paul. So we had uh, Romans, we had Corinthians, we had Galatians before any of the Gospels were ever written. So again, so they were living an experiential Gospel. They were living a life that was based upon what they experienced through the Holy Spirit, and their faith was great enough to move mountains. I want you to hear, hear me today. Their, their faith was great enough to do exploits in the Spirit. Signs and wonders uh, were done by the apostles, it says in Acts chapter 2, and an awe settled upon the church. That awe means not like, oh, no. It means that they were amazed. There was an amazement in them of what the Spirit was doing in that time. So what happens to the church, this pattern going on, this pattern is how, uh, how all churches should operate, by the way. We should all operate in in, the, in this particular pattern of what? Coming together, deliberate and, deliberate and pray and seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit when we come up against opposition. We, we need the help of God. In other words, there's a lot of people, they think they can straighten it out in a boardroom in their church or they can straighten it out in a business meeting. I want you to understand man is flawed and we will never be able to come to a decision based upon our wisdom. It will, and, and, and I'm going to go a little step further, and we can't come to a decision strictly based upon the scripture. We need God's word anointed by God's spirit to find the right direction. Okay, So it takes a combination of those things, not just one or two of those things. The world hated Jesus because he was not of the world. Our human condition uh, is explained in the text. We, we have a need to be bold in this world. We have a need for boldness to, uh, to an unbelieving world. What, we, what do we need or what do we need to do to experience resistance uh, concerning a Christian faith? Just live out loud your faith and you will find resistance. In our world, Christians will experience trouble. What will we do when this happens to us? Has anybody in this room ever been persecuted for their faith? Now, I want to tell you something. Just because somebody gets mad, mad at you at the water cooler because you said, Jesus, that's not real persecution. Okay, they're just upset at you. But when people begin to talk about you, to defame you, to tear down your personality, to 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 slander you because of your faith in Jesus, but you you're entering a whole different level of what it means to to suffer for the faith. Okay, there's a whole different level there. And, and and when they put you in chains and drag you before magistrates and they begin to beat you, you're in a whole nother level there. In our world, Christians will experience trouble. What will happen to us? This passage shows us the apostles' actions. Now, let's look at Acts 4, verses, beginning with verse 1. And as they were, they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Now, why did they come upon them? Because... Peter has just seen Jesus work through him, and this man that was 40 years crippled has been healed. This was the end where we left last week in, in chapter 3. And so this man was, was healed, and the people have gathered to find out, hey, what's going on? Because we know this guy. 
And I told you, you want to see uh, revival in the church? You see somebody everybody knows is crazy. Everybody knows is out here doing awful things. Get right with Jesus and really get right. And really, you let somebody be healed that's been lame or blind physically. You know, it's going to get people's attention. And that's what happened. So a crowd had gathered. And as this crowd gathers, the story continues. And the Bible says, as they were speaking to the people... This is Peter and John. The priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So they got to spend a night in jail for a miracle. They got to spend a night in jail, and I'm going to tell you something, um, you, and I, I'm not saying prison's not rough today, but I'm going to tell you, Middle Eastern prison is a whole nother level, all right? Whole nother level. So more than likely, they were beaten. More than likely, they were, were, there was a lot of things that, that, that they experienced. They were uncomfortable, I promise you. It wasn't no, hey, let's spend the night and we'll, you know, no. They were persecuted. Persecution has begun. They arrested them, put them in prison, said, we'll deal with them the next day. Verse 4 says, but many of those who had heard the word believed and and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Uh-oh, now something amazing's happened. This man's been healed. This man has experienced. Peter gets up and what's he say to him? I told you Peter wasn't too nice when he preached. He looked at him and said, you killed the author of life. You murdered him. You're responsible for the death of Jesus, and he is alive. There was no, he didn't pull no punches. He was very direct. You've got Jesus on your hands. You've got his blood on your hands. So what are you going to do with it? Because that blood on your hands will produce judgment. That blood on your heart will produce eternal life. Oh, man, isn't that awesome? But you got to do something with Jesus. That's what he was telling. So 5,000 people came to know the Lord in that day. 5,000 men. By the way, I told you they didn't count the women and the children. So there's no telling how many people came to know the Lord that day. Amen. On the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. And Ananias, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family, the, the elite of the elite had gathered to judge these men. I want you to hear me. The elite of the elite. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or name did you do this? And Peter, I love this part. What was Peter not filled up with Peter? Because, you know, there was a lot of times, I love the character of Peter. Peter, I believe, was very confident in himself. He was a very determined man, a very courageous man. He was, uh, you know, when I think of Peter, he was rough and he was in your face in, in, in real life. He was one of these kind of top A personality guys. But you know what? He had been full of himself. He had been full of the devil. Now he is full of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that awesome? And the Bible says now, full of the Holy Spirit. Anybody else testify that? I've been full of myself before. I've been full of the devil before. But oh, I'm thankful I am filled with the Holy Spirit this morning. Anybody else? I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. So about so so filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers of the people and the elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, there he goes again. There he goes again. That P- man, Peter was ruthless, was he not? He had to slide it in every time. Every time he speaks, he says, you're a killer. You killed him. 
You murdered him. Whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that, the, that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven. Oh, I want you to hear that this morning. There is no other name under heaven but given among men by which you, we, we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I want the world to know I've been with Jesus. How about you? I want the world to recognize his anointing on my life. How about you? Do you realize that these were common men? Aren't you thankful for that? Uneducated men. Aren't you thankful for that? They said, we don't understand where this is coming from. But all we know is they've been with Jesus. And I've got news for you, no matter where you've been, no matter what side of the tracks you've been on, whatever, whatever race you may be, whatever you have done in your life, good, bad, evil, <laughs> I'm telling you today, a redeemed life can be touched by Jesus and this world can know that you've been with him. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Lord. He goes on. And the Bible says, but seeing, verse 14, this man who was healed standing beside him, they had nothing to say in opposition. What can you say about that? Nothing to say in opposition. But they had, they had commanded them to leave the council. They conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evidence to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. We can't deny that this man, we've all passed by him going to church. How many times? Oh, God, help me preach this this morning. We passed by this crippled guy so many times going to church, going to pray, and everybody else has, and now he's standing and leaping and praising God. We can't deny that something's happened. I want you to understand God is ready to move in the church in such a way that there is undeniable evidence of his existence in this community. We need undeniable evidence. But we don't need to miss the opportunity. When God does that, it is not so we can praise the miracle. It's that we can praise the miracle worker. That we can point people to the cause. Amen. Who is the cause of this great miracle? Who is the cause of a drunk getting sober? Who is the cause of the meth addict putting down the pipe? Who is the cause of the adulterer cleaning up his life or her life? Who is the cause of these people changing their direction and going a different way? It's Jesus. We don't point them to us. We don't point them to anybody else. We say, it's Jesus. My goodness. I was going to preach calm to y'all and get stirred up in the second service. Actually, I get stirred up in both. So. Verse 17, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Let's shut it down. Let's stop them in their tracks. We can't deny what happened, but let's tell them no more of this. 
So the Bible says, so they, char- they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach, in the name of Je- uh, teach at all in the name of Jesus. But I love it. Verse 19, but Peter and John answered, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot speak of what we have, we cannot speak of what we have seen and heard. And whether, whether they had further threatened, when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people for all were, were praising God for what had happened for this man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old in other words he had been there a long time a fixture in the community and there was no way they could say he was faking there was no way they could excuse this away so they charged them to say no more the conquest of gospel preaching. In other words, as we share the preaching, verses 1 through 4 says, uh, speaks of this. In, in other words, you need to understand the Sadducees, the Sadducees, they were the rulers of the synagogue or the order. They kept order in the synagogue or in the temple. And so that's why this group showed up because they weren't going to keep order. And they had a problem with what Peter was teaching, because the Bible says in the verses we read, Peter was teaching about what? The resurrection. Well, you see, the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see. Oh, it's terrible, I know. Don't believe in the resurrection. So their theology was crashing together. Their works mentality of you've got to you've got to check the list and you got to do this and you got to do that and maybe you'll please God and He won't stay ticked off at you because their approach to God was He's angry at us all the time. He's always angry. He's always mad. He's already just a breath away from destroying us. And Judaism taught I got to perform to please Him and gain His favor. Now these men who were common men, uneducated. Now that didn't mean they were dumb, by the way. That just meant they went through Jewish school and by age 12 they were done. They didn't go on to rabbinical school, which meant they studied a little longer in their life and pledged their lives to, to being uh, serving in the synagogues or serving in the temple. Okay? So it doesn't mean they were dumb. They said they were uneducated. Didn't call them dumb. Okay? It didn't mean they didn't have nothing. But these common, let's just say, these common high school graduates... That's all they had was high school. They didn't go on to college, didn't go on to tech school. These common high school graduates were shaking the world through the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. We need a move of the Spirit and we need to realize that if we stand for truth, our theology is not going to always be embraced by everybody. Not everybody's going to like you for serving Jesus. And we need to get comfortable with that fact. Does anybody in this room like people not to like them? I just enjoy it. I wish everybody just not. No. How many in this room, it bothers you a little bit when you find out somebody doesn't like you? Oh, you may bow up and say, I don't care. I didn't like them anyway. Liar. You may not have liked them, but it bothers you that they don't like you. In other words, I cannot like them, but how dare them not like me? I am a pleasant, wonderful person. 
Come on now. <laughs> How could you not like me? You're not going to please everybody if you try to please Jesus. You're not going to always jive with everybody. They're not always going to want to walk alongside you if you choose to walk with Jesus. But it's worth it. I don't know. Does anybody believe it's worth it this morning? Amen. Amen. The temple guard was like the sheriff of the of the temple, whose job was to maintain the peace and to maintain acceptable Jewish Orthodox teaching. In other words, if the teaching began to stray away from the way the Jews thought it should be taught, their job was to correct that and say, "Uh uh-uh, you can't teach that way here in the temple. The temple guard was in charge of the, or or mainly the police force that was, was armed Levites, whose job was to maintain temple order and, and to take care of any disturbances. It was this same group of people, the temple guard, that joined the Romans to arrest Jesus about two to three months prior to this event. So I want you to think about this. Some of these guys that were standing there, temple guard, could have very well been in the group that arrested Jesus. Okay? So it's very feasible to look at that. Luke also mentions the Sadducees. We talked about them, and their job was to make sure everything was proper. Proper. It's interesting just how quickly word travels, isn't it? This man had just been healed, and Peter had just offered an explanation in the form of a gospel sermon or the good news. And as to what was going on and what the people needed to do to get right, namely to repent, and all who were in charge in the temple were greatly annoyed, the Bible says. And thus, uh, this focus of their aggravation was on these two men, Peter and John, and their preaching of the message. They wanted to stop it. The Jews taught works by salvation. Now these apostles were offering salvation by grace this does not mine up this doesn't mix I've got news for you there's a lot of us trying to work our way into heaven but yet you are offered relationship and you realize that the two just don't jive anybody struggle with that besides me I've been on that side of things where I thought you had to jump through the hoops check off the list and and it would be my performance that would gain his love and his favor I love what Stephen, Stephen Furtick says quit auditioning for the part you already have he loves you he is in love with you and God is ready to see his children walk in the grace amen and grace is an excuse for me to go do what I want if you bought that lie you're in trouble Not with Pastor Phil, but with God. You better not buy into that lie because that lie will say grace covers whatever I want. So go sin, go do everything against God's word, and you're covered. You're good. I've got news for you. Grace removes the excuse for me not to walk in what's right. Why? Because grace empowers me to do that which I could not do on my own. A lot of us, our definition of grace that we're taught all through our lives is that it is what? Grace is uh, unmerited favor, and that is one aspect of grace. But there's a deeper definition to the word grace, which is simply this, divine enablement. Grace gives me divine enablement. You say, I don't see where that is scripturally. You remember this guy, Paul, who the Bible says had a thorn in the flesh? He, was, he prayed three times, God, let this thorn in my flesh be removed. And he even tells us, a lot of people say, oh, it was his eyesight, it was this, it was that. He tells us what it is. He says it's a demonic spirit that had come to trouble him. 
And the Lord answers his prayer by saying this, my grace is sufficient for all of your needs. What is he saying? I have divine enablement for you, Paul, to get through this. I'm going to divinely enable you to weather the storm. I'm going to divinely enable you to stand against this. Some of us were praying for things to be removed and God's saying, I'm just going to give you the grace to get through it. I'm going to give you the grace to weather the storm. These are such polar opposites, the message of grace and the message of works, that for someone who believes that salvation comes through works, to even think that salvation through the free grace or gift of Christ is extremely offensive. This has offended them. Their house of cards will quickly come down in the light of grace. If you are building your life off of, off of rules, what I can do to please God, what I can do to perform and gain his favor, that is a shaky little house of cards. And grace will wreck it. Anybody in this room besides me ever been wrecked by grace? Amen. I have been, I have been wrecked by grace. When I thought, well, why? Because my little house of cards does not hold together in the light of the grace of God. Because my house of cards will allow me excuses. It will. I'm in, I, you know what? I am entitled to this behavior because this isn't in my life. And God says, no. My grace is sufficient. My grace will enable you. To not go to that behavior, but to weather the storm. Amen? Aren't you thankful for that today? Now, real quickly, because I'm not going to hold you long today. I'm going to try to wrap this up. Number two, they rejected the chief cornerstone. They rejected the foundation. He says that to the, to the rulers and the elders and the scribes that are gathered in Jerusalem, he's, and, and to the high priest, he says, you have rejected uh, Jesus, who is the chief cornerstone. In other words, he was referring to a building that was going to be built, and they thought everything was the temple. Everything was that physical structure. All of, their, all of God dwelled in that. And he's saying, you rejected him, and now God has made him the chief cornerstone. In other words, everything is going to be fit together in him. Everything's going to flow into him. Everything's going to be built upon him. This Jesus is the stone that, the, that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We've got to quit offering another salvation to people. We've got to quit offering Band-Aids. I like what Jim says. We've we got to quit offering Jesus as a Band-Aid. Here, put Jesus on your boo-boo and it'll be all better. No, my friend, you don't need him on the surface. You need him in the heart. That goes back to what we've been talking about for several weeks. God, take it to the cause. Get to the root of the matter, the heart of why I'm doing these things against you. And deal with the heart. Amen. Not just the symptom in the surface, but the heart. The heart. Amen. We need to remember that it is in Christ that we find and we see a difference. It is only through Him that we can be saved. It is only through Him that this world can be transformed and changed. It is only through Him. But the problem is they had hard hearts and so does the world around us. Please notice the hard hearts of religious leaders. In other words, the more religious people are, the more hardened they get to the, to the gospel. 
They really do. They, in other words, they make the gospel so, they, they polarize the gospel into this and this and this, or, and, 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 and they make it, I'm, I'm just going to say this, the church has made it really hard to get to Jesus sometimes. Because we've made people have to get through us to get to him. And folks, that's why people aren't turning to him. Because you know what? We can't accept them. Or we can't approve of them. And so we throw up walls and we polarize the gospel and say, when you perform well enough for me, then I'll let you to my Jesus. I'll let you get to him. But you perform well enough. You got to do, you do, you do right for a while. And then we'll, we'll see about you getting to my Jesus. And Jesus says, get out of my way, Phil. Get out of my way, church, and bring people to me because he is the life changer. He is the one that transforms the heart. And I'm going to tell you, if you're sitting here today and you're looking for a religious answer, I don't have one for you, but I can show you the one by whose name you might and can be saved if you'll turn to him. His name is Jesus. Oh, my goodness. Turn to him, the author and the finisher of your faith. Religion will only make a hard harder. Religion and church has hardened people to the point of, I've tried church, and, and you know what? I deal with people all the time. I'm hurt by church. The problem is we're trying to save people with church instead of leading them to Jesus. We are to be his hands, his feet, his voice. It's not supposed to be my voice or your voice. It's him we need to glorify. It's him we need to lift up. It's him we need to praise. He's the one that changes the heart. Mm. And that leaves us with Peter's boldness. So where did this change take place? What was the difference in the Peter that was, is cursing and denying his name? Who is now standing in the face of the very ones who crucified Christ and telling them how it is. Now I'm going to tell you something. You don't need to tell people how it is without the anointing of the Spirit. He wasn't just telling these people off because it almost looks like Peter has a death wish, doesn't it? If you look at, the, look at Acts in the flesh. Because, I mean, you're ticking off the people who just murdered Jesus. There's one difference in what he's doing and what some people do. Some people just get, uh, they enjoy just absolutely telling somebody off spiritually. Tell them how they need to get straight. Tell them what all's wrong in their life. Amen? When I grew up, it was, you got to just tell it like it is. Just tell it like it is. Praise God, I'm going to tell it like it is. Woo! You know, pound the pulpit a little bit. What we did is we used it for an excuse to tell people off. And what we did is we turned them off to us, and they considered us Jesus. So we turn them off to the very one that could save them. Oh God, help us repent of that. Oh God, I'm so sorry your church has done that. And so we've run people off because we didn't like them. Or they offended us. That doesn't mean the church just says, oh, 
come on in and everything's okay. No, look, you have to have correction. You have to have teaching. But we don't need that correction and teaching without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Every time Peter stands up, the Bible has this phrase, and Peter being filled with the Spirit. Peter being filled with the Spirit. Acts chapter 2, Peter being filled with the Spirit. Acts chapter 3, Peter being filled with the Spirit. Then in Acts chapter 4, Peter being full of the Holy Ghost. Oh my goodness. Do you see the difference? This isn't just a man telling people how it is. This is a man anointed of the Holy Spirit. And when we are anointed of the Holy Spirit, that message can go forth and it can do what it's meant to do. But if we're not full of the Holy Spirit, we're just being mean. We're just being ugly and offensive. God, fill us with your Spirit. Will you stand? We need boldness in an unbelieving world. We need boldness to weather this storm. We need boldness to see revival in Chattooga County. You hear me today. We need anointing of the Holy Spirit. And some of us in this room, we don't even know what that means. If you'll begin to ask God for it, you'll experience it. If you'll begin to open your heart to it, God will give it to you. But I'll be the first to tell you, you can't do certain things and make it to heaven. I'll tell you that. Because the Bible says that. But I'm going to tell you this morning, God is ready to fill us with His Spirit. And the anointing of the Spirit is what we need because we've made it hard for people to get to Him. The church has done that. I have, man, I grew up where church made it hard to find Jesus. And you know what? Even harder to keep Him. Because the Jesus sometimes I envisioned was very difficult because, because we mixed that performance with grace. We viewed God the way the Jews viewed God. Sitting on the throne, waiting for me to mess up so He could destroy me. But I want to remind you, the Bible says this, for God so loved the world. He loved you. And though my sin was a stench and an offense to him. He said, I got to fix it. And there's only one way, so I'll send my son, Jesus, to die for Phil. To do for him what he cannot do for himself. You remember when you were your kid's superhero? And you could do anything. Paige had some Polly Pockets and little dolls. And the head popped off of one. Did she panic? No. She ran with the head in one hand and the body in the other and said, fix it. Yeah. 
And if I couldn't get the head to stay on long enough, she had another one that replaced it. You know what I mean? I wasn't losing my image as superhero. God's still my superhero. And I still take him my broken, messed up pieces and he puts it back together. And when he couldn't put me together, he bought a replacement through his son and said, Here, (laughs) he'll take your sin, he'll take your failures, and he'll nail it to the cross so that you can be whole again. That's the kind of Jesus I want to offer you this morning. And you may say, I'm saved. Well, if you're saved, that's great. That's great. But you still need him. Because some of us are trapped in performing for him. Some of us, we don't have holy boldness. And there's a difference between offensive boldness and holy boldness. We need God's boldness. Not just being offensive to people. God don't need you to be a vacuum salesman. And if we have one in here, I'm sorry for that analogy. I said that in revival once. A guy walked up to me afterwards and said, well, I'm a vacuum salesman. I said, so sorry. True story. God's looking for somebody with boldness. So if you know him as your Savior, I want to invite you to know him as your Savior. If you know him as a father of judgment, I want you to invite, I want to invite you to know him as a God that loved this world enough to fix it, to fix you, to fix me. And if you're in this room this morning and you don't know Jesus, you have no assurance whatsoever that you would go to heaven. You're just banked on something that you maybe prayed years ago, but you have not lived out loud your faith. I want to invite you to know Jesus today. Maybe you've never met Jesus at all as your Savior, and you don't really know what to do. This morning, I want to invite you to come and meet Jesus. Quit trying to figure out all that you... So many times, well, i got to change this, this, and this, and this, then I'll come get right. No, it doesn't work that way. It's Jesus on the inside working on the outside. I can't quit nothing without Jesus. I can't stop nothing without Jesus. i got to have His help to do it. Who needs boldness in this house? Who needs relationship in this house? Who needs to know this this God I've been preaching about for the last few minutes? Then I want you to come. I want you to meet Jesus. He wants to meet with you. And He's here this morning. Who wants to come meet Him? Come on. Come on. Come on. I I, I don't want to go by myself. Grab somebody by the hand and say, you're going with me. Come on. Come on. Don't walk out of here hurting. Don't walk out of here saying, no, i got to get this right, and then I'll come to him. That is not how it works. Just come. Just come. Just meet with him, and then together, you and Jesus can figure it out. But you got to meet somewhere. I'm going to invite you to come. Some of you are holding back. You feel like, oh, I just wish you'd dismiss so I could get out the door. No, that's the Holy Spirit saying, come, and the enemy telling you to go. Come on, church. Come on. Come on, there's some others. You need to move today. You need to know Jesus today. You're trying to work your life out. You're trying to work things out. But Jesus is just kind of a by thought. Come today. Meet with Jesus today. Come on, there's some others that need to make a move right now. Come on, you need to make a move. You need to make a move. There's some of us that are saved. We need to make a move today. To say, Lord, I want more in my life. Some of us, we're moving towards our future. We need, to, we need more Jesus than we've ever had before. Are you going to build on the right foundation? I'm offering Jesus to you today. He is the right foundation. Will you come? Will you come? Amen.
Amen. This altar remains open. We would like to thank you for joining us for our weekly podcast. We pray that you receive something from the Lord today. Please share your prayer requests and testimonies with us by emailing us at tryonhwc at gmail.com. If you would like more information concerning Harvest Worship Center, you can visit our website at tryonhwc.com. We would love for you to visit us in person sometime. Our services are held at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Children's worship is during our 11 a.m. service. If you would like to give to the ministries of Harvest Worship Center, you can also do this by clicking the Giving tab online. Once again, we would like to thank you for joining us today, and we pray you have a blessed week.